Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur with Rob Moore. You'll notice, of course, that I am not Rob Moore. He's currently away in the States with his son Bobby doing some golfing tournaments. I've been looking after things here at HQ. I've noticed quite a few questions from you guys in the community and on the podcast reviews asking for Rob to answer your questions. So whilst he's away, I've managed to drill him down and I'm Skyping him to get some time with him to go through exactly what it is you guys want to know. It's not something he normally does. So, you're very lucky, those of you that have got questions, hopefully he's going to give us some good answers. Before we get into it, I've got some housekeeping to go over with you guys. This is our 50th episode, which is amazing. It's done better than any of us thought it would have done by now. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of subscribers. So, thank you to everyone who's reviewed it so far. Just to keep you guys in the loop with some of the things that you've requested, we will be doing shortly fully annotated show notes and transcriptions that are going to be added to every single podcast. And we will also always be looking into more and bigger guests. So anything that you guys think you need from us, please speak to us in the community and we'll let you know. Cool. So we've got some questions from you guys. I've got a limited time with Rob, so I'm going to get through what I can. Everyone who has asked a question, we've got a special gift for, which we'll talk about at the end. If we ask your question and we don't include your name, you're still going to get a gift, so you need to DM me in the Facebook group, please. Again, we'll have a link for that at the end if you're not already in the Facebook group. So, hi, Rob. How are you? Good, Tom. Thanks for taking over while I'm away. I'm in San Diego at the moment. Bobby's just finished his uh, world championship. He played in the IMG World Under 6. He's the youngest qualifier man, I tell you, being the caddy is so hard. (laughs) I'm so exhausted and you go through the emotional roller coaster, but it's been great. So thanks for taking over and looking forward to um, being on the other side of the fence. Yeah, well, it's not normally me doing the speaking, so hopefully everyone doesn't mind too much. Are you ready to answer some questions, Rob? Yeah, far away, Tom. Fantastic. So our first question is from Rhonda Smith. Hi, Rob. Just wondered if you could point me in the right direction. I'd like to write a book of macaroon recipes. I've just given up work to pursue this as a business, and I think the market lacks an easy step-by-step guide to the perfect macaroon. Where do I start, and is there more than one option? Okay, so I, re- I remember us see- receiving this question, and I want to thank Rhonda. Uh, and I think it's my job on answering these questions to, to be both honest and disruptive. So if I don't answer the question in the way that you want, I, at least you know I've been honest. So when I first saw that... I wondered if it was a wind-up, <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm sitting here smiling about that. Now, I'm going to answer it. If it isn't a wind-up, that's great, and if it is, it's still fun. I would probably have said, and I'm, again, just being frank with you, I probably wouldn't have immediately given up work to set up such a nice business. I probably would have, for example, something like cooking. It's great, isn't it? Because if you want to write recipes and and write cookbooks and things like that, that is something you can do in your part-time because lunches and dinners and having friends over for dinner and making recipes and desserts for friends, you could do that while you're still at work because you can do it in the evenings. So if I was to rewind, I'd say you don't necessarily have to give up your job. I mean, look, I'm the person that tells everyone if it's right for them and you know, want, you want to merge your passion and profession and you really believe in what you're doing, then go for it because I don't regret giving up my job in 2000 and, what, end of 2005 and I, I'd never look back. So let's say you've given up your job, like you said, and you can't go back. That's okay. So I would, firstly, I would look at is there a big market for this because that's pretty niche. Maybe... I don't know what research you can do online. Obviously, Google's a pretty powerful thing. Go on to Google and, and just see if anyone else is writing purely cookbooks, dessert books, specifically on the niche of the niche, the micro niche, which is macaroons. And if they aren't, that tells you one of two things, either that there's a gap in the market or there's no market. And you want to be very careful not to be too biased or and have a confirmation bias, which is because you so much believe in the thing you assume everyone else wants the thing, and that's one of the worst things you can do. So let's say anyone listening now, let's take it open to everyone else. Let's say you've got a hyper niche, and it's something you really believe in, you're really interested in. Well, there's got to be a demand for it for you to be able to monetize that. And 
whilst again i really believe that you can monetize most things there are some things that are maybe so niche that it might be smart just to widen them a bit so if i was looking at this i might think about how you know how to make the perfect dessert for example or, or maybe you could start with that niche and then your next book could widen and widen and widen and widen as you get uh, more of an art audience so the way you start is doing some research online to see if there's demand for it. Look on Amazon, look on Google, look on Facebook, look on all the social media groups, look where people could have written books or write blogs on it or, or, or there's any kind of authority on anything that you're interested in, whether it's macaroons or anything else, uh, and you want to look at that. Then step two is, okay, so if you think there's a niche, then you want to find the people who are doing it, the top experts, and you want to study them and learn from them but you also want to look at how you can be unique and different. And I, I, and I, I kind of two sides of the fence here, because on the one hand, if you want to get the results that you want, there's someone that's done it. There's an expert that's already out there. They've trodden the path, they've blazed the trail and they can save you one tenth of the time. They can save you a lot of the mistakes. They can put you on track. They can guide you. They can, I really believe in having mentors and, and really studying the best. At the same time, though, you are you. You are a unique you, and you should never want to be an imitation of anyone else. And in fact, sometimes the biggest disruptors and innovators are so because they're disruptive and innovative. They're different. So honor the masters, own the traits of the greats, follow the people in your niche who've done the thing, who are the top people. But how can you put your own unique spin, flavor? How can you just make it so different? You know, like the bands that break through. You know, if you think of, of music that you're into, there'll be, there'll be a genre breakthrough. Now, often what the genre breakthrough is, is a hybrid of more than one genre before. So maybe you can take, I mean, I, to be honest, uh, that's what life leverage is. Life leverage is a combination of hundreds of personal development books that I've written, and, but it's also my own secret recipe and formula and the uniqueness of me. And in fact, a couple, I mean, I haven't had many negative review, reviews. We've had nearly 1,200 positive ones. But I've had a few negative reviews. And negative ones have been, oh, that's just a bit like that personal development book. Or this is just a rehash of all the personal development books. And I remember when I read those for the first time, I was like, yeah, I was so upset. I mean, I was spitting feathers. But then I thought, well, there's some truth in what they're saying because that's what we do, don't we? We, we, um, we have our gurus, mentors, heroes, and, and we probably uh, we take on parts of them. And then, and then if, we, 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 if we're unique, we can bring it through us in our own special flavor. So let me just summarize that then, any micro niche. First off, could you do it part-time without having to work so that you can get the income up to where you need to be so you can quit without taking a massive drop in income. Now, uh, Rhonda's asked the question, you might be able to quit your job, you might have passive income, you might not need the money. So don't go back to the job if you don't need the money. But if you need the money, then get your second income somewhere near your first income and then you can look at quitting. Do some basic research on, you can use Word Tracker on in Google AdWords, you can use different sort of tools that show you demand. Tom, you're a, a techie guy on uh, kind of all that. Do you know any other tools that people can use for research? I mean, the thing is, it's easier than it's ever been to do this kind of research. And, you know, in years gone by where you might have to pour over things in a library or something like that, almost any amount of information you want is just to Google away. It's, it's just not that hard to do the kind of research you need to do nowadays. So, yeah, I mean, it might sound easy and simple, but I would say just get on Google and it will take you to where you need to go. Cool. Thanks, Tom. I just wondered if you had any sort of secret hacks or anything like that or any, any sites. Do you ever use any of these word tracker tools or anything like that? I don't know. I'm not quite that savvy. Okay. So I know in Google AdWords they have a Google search tool. So that, that would be useful to do, you know, like when you're running Google Ads. That's cool. Um, and, I know, and, and Word Tracker is its, is its own version. Now, if you type there and there's four searches coming up for macaroon recipe books, then there you go. You know, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to listen to that. Maybe go, going on a lot of the social sites and asking some questions in some of the groups. So you've got Reddit, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter. Facebook groups are so powerful. Do you know any other social media groups or social media platforms, Tom? I mean, I think if you look on a lot of places like Pinterest, there's huge amounts of stuff on Pinterest. Yes. You can very easily find out kind of, you know, what stuff is, is very popular and trending. Yeah, so... so that's a good call, actually. Sorry, Tom, that's a good call. The, the recipes and foods is quite common on um, Pinterest and Instagram, isn't it, where you've got the, the images of them? Yeah, you've also got places like Etsy as well, which, are, you know, you can often find kind of the stuff that is up and coming but not isn't necessarily fully mainstream yet. Sure. Okay, great. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I'm, I'm done.
Okay, cool. I think there's actually an interesting sub-question there that you might want to do a couple of minutes on, which is, it's also, she's asking kind of about self-publishing, which is something you're a bit of an expert on as well, isn't it? Because we do all of your own books in-house. So, you know, a lot of people think it's very scary to be able to publish a book and that you need to do, you know, big deals with big publishers and you have that now, but you haven't always. And, you know, so how, how hard did you find it when you did your first few books? Sure. Okay, I could speak a long time on this because I've got seven self-published books and one published with the second biggest publisher in the world. So, you, you know, they say it takes, what, 10 years or 20 years to make an overnight success. So life leverage didn't go ballistic first time round. But I never courted a publisher ever, Tom. So I'm quite lucky in that uh, Hachette, John Murray Learning, which is a subdivision of Hachette, they courted me. So the reason I didn't court publishing is because I had very much a revenue-based mindset towards books. So I wanted to get them out quick. I didn't want to have to get rejected for the next five years. I had platforms to sell them. So whether it's Facebook or we do our live events or on our own websites. So I had a get perfect later, ready, fire, aim attitude where I wanted wanted to get a book out there. And I mean, if you look at some of the early reviews of Property Investing Secrets or multiple streams of property income, some of the early, early ones, you know, there's some negative critique there. There's still like four and a half, 4.9 stars. But some of that early critique is fair, you know, in that there were a few typos. And also we did some big launches and got people to buy a lot of them. And so some people are like, oh, they're just selling them all on the same day to get a launch model and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, we were. No, there's no, it's not criminal act to do that. So, yeah, so um, I would go self-published to start, especially if you've got a a niche book. And here are the reasons why. Number one is, if it does well, a publisher can actually retrospectively buy the rights to the book off you, like um, Hachette did with me. So you could still get your big break. Number two is you get your book out there, you get get it seen, you get it sold. You can always do an an edition two, you know, where you correct all the typos and and you make it better. Now, if you send a manuscript to a publisher, and it's full of full of typos and, and, and all that kind of thing. It's, it's not going to be good. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't just, I'm, I'm shuddering with embarrassment of what our first edition of Property Investing Secrets must have been because we've done fourth edition now. And that's another thing that's great about self-publishing is that you can write the book you want to write with no creative restriction. If, if you get it out there and you sell a few thousand copies and then you get a couple of negative reviews because there's a few typos and it's a bit of information missing, no problem. You write edition two and you can write it as quick as you want and you're not waiting for the publishers and you don't have a year a year until they allow you to promote it and blah, blah, blah. So another upside of self-publishing is you can print on demand. So you can print 10 copies, 100 copies, 1,000 copies. You can buy them up front. Another benefit of self-publishing is you'll probably make a net margin of three, £3.50 on a book, whereas publishing, you'll be lucky if you make a pound on a £10 book. Now, look, obviously, I got onto the Steve Wright Radio 2 show. I'm being translated into complex Chinese, simple Chinese, and that's just the start. We've sold, you know, tens and tens of thousands of books more than we would have done if I was self-published, but... You know, it's my eighth book, my best book. Your, your first book is probably not your best book. Um, so I think there's lower risk and lower barriers to entry to self-publish uh, and less rejection. And, and maybe edition two or edition three or edition four could be your published book. Now, there's no harm in sending your all your manuscripts out, but I just never did it. No, of course. Well, thanks, Rob. I think that's a really good answer. Hopefully, Rhonda is happy with that. I think that was pretty thorough for a question about a macaroon book. Um, <laughs> It's going to be funny if that was a complete, you know, joke question. I'm going to be quite embarrassed. But anyway. (laughs) Cool. So our second question is from Tariq Mubarak. And that is, is it better to start and finish forward slash settle on one project or business at a time or just have multiple projects and businesses on the go because life's too short to pick one? Okay, so Tariq, I know Tariq well. He's in the community. Thanks for the question, Tariq. Hope you're listening. It's actually a balance. Often answers aren't all extreme one way. And so it is with how many businesses you should have. There's no rule that you should have one. There's no rule that you should have three. And if I were to create a rule that's as much of a rule that's not a rule, is maybe you use the 70-20-10 model or system. I'm sure I've written about that in multiple streams of property income. Because I'm going to take us to the property world and I'm going to bring us back into business and entrepreneurship. 
in the property world right now, there are a lot of different strategies. It's not just go and buy a house. You've got single let, you've got service accommodation, you've got standard HMOs, you've got sort of no money down financing through options, instalment contracts, recycling your deposits. You know, there's packaging and, and selling deals. There's all sorts. And even in, in HMO, you've got sort of HMO to blue collar, to white collar, to um, council paid rents, to the sort of the, um, you know, the higher boutique model. So there are like literally 15 different ways you can invest in property. So it's not just right to say, I'm going to buy some houses and let them out. The upside of that is opportunity. There's just so many cash flow opportunities, innovations, disruptions. The downside is overwhelm confusion, shiny penny syndrome, not knowing which ones to start, to stop, to drop, to juggle. And I think that's why Tarek is asking the question. So I created this kind of system, which you can follow, which is 70-20-10 in the property world, which is to pick three strategies and use a primary strategy 70% of your time, a secondary strategy 20% of your time, and a tertiary strategy 10% of your time, so 70-20-10. And, and I think it can be the same with your businesses that you're running. Because Steve Jobs, at one point, I believe, he had, he had Next, he had Apple, and he had Pixar. Although he might not have had Next and Apple at the same time. But Steve Jobs has had more than one model. Obviously, Elon Musk, he's got SpaceX, he's got Tesla. He's probably doing some non-exec stuff or, you know, some advisory role. So he's probably got three income streams. Now, of course, there are some that have got just one and you can just have one and become a billionaire uh, and you could probably juggle three or four and become a billionaire. You might not want to become a billionaire, but you might only want to become a millionaire or whatever. So I think it depends on your personality type and the market you're in and the marketplace. So if you're in property, for example, you, there's, there's quite a lot of strategies at the moment. So having 70, 20, 10 and maybe three is a good thing. 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty much just single lets. So the market probably wasn't, there weren't as many disruptive income streams. So you probably might have only had one or two. I think any more than three, and that's when, you know, that you risk. So Tarek's question is, settle on one or have more than one. Well, I think once you start getting more than, say, three, then you start blowing your mind. You're overwhelmed. You you know what it's like if you task jump. You know, you get 20 minutes into a task, you get in flow, someone interrupts you, can take you 20 minutes to get back in. And if you've got five or six business uh, models or income streams, you're going to be just task jumping all the time. It's going to blow your mind. It's probably going to be too many. Caveat, though, is that certain types of people love to do one thing over and over and over and over and compounding, get better and better and better at it. You know, the Japanese are great at it. The Kaizen model of just constant and never-ending improvement. My business partner, Mark Homer, he's like that. He don't really like doing new things. If he does new things, he tests small. He likes to do the same thing over and over like Warren Buffett to get compounding. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, I get so bored so quick and I love variety so much that, you know, I've got got to rein myself in and I could easily have five or six or ten things on the go and that would be of of a detriment. So you're probably somewhere in the middle around about three, but it depends on your personality type. If you're more steady or conscientious on the disc profile, then you're probably, you know, more of a an investor type. Then you probably want to stick to one, maybe two. Mm-hmm. If you are more uh, DNI dominant and influential on the disc personality profiling, you could probably have multiple income streams. But then there's one more thing to add, Tom, is leverage and using the life leverage philosophy. So if you start one, systemize it build a team around it so it doesn't need you anymore, then you can move on to the next one, have it the first one running, and then you can do start your second one, systemize it, build a team around it, then start your third one, systemize it, build a team around it. And I talk about that a lot in multiple streams of property income, which a lot of people are saying is not just a property book. And that's why I talk about doing the strategy. So if you started five all at once, like having, uh, what's five kids? quintuplets or something it'd be crazy but if you had one raised them nurtured them kicked them off to uni then had another raised them nurtured them kicked them off to uni you could handle a few of those you know providing you could live till you're 300 and pop out that many babies every 18 years so the same it is with business models you start one yeah you nurture it you raise it you systemize it you build a team around it when you move yourself out, you'll still have to check back every now and again. Tom, you'll know I still tune in at Progressive, even though I'm rarely there. We're very aware of that, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and then once that's systemized enough, maybe 80%, then you can start your second one, your third one, your fourth one. And I think we have, I think Mark and I have about seven or eight income streams now, but we've been doing it 10, 11 years. So hopefully it helps. And I think it's really interesting what you're saying about the people like um, Elon Musk, because you've also got examples of people like uh, Jeff Bezos, who pitched his investors in the 90s when he started Amazon, the idea of the everything shop. But he decided to start small with something that would be easy to dominate. And you've been able to watch Amazon go kind of from business to business. And eventually they're, they're going to have that. There'll be everything. And, but they've done that by starting with something that they knew they could be good at. And once they'd conquered that, moved on to the next one. And then they do everything concurrently. And Tom, that is, a, that is an amazingly good point. I just want to jump on that. Um, so if someone's listening and they're in quite a tight niche, it's probably good to really own that niche first. Because then you can grow wider and wider and wider and wider. Yeah. And if if you look at a lot of the big companies, they didn't start going really, really, really wide. And for six six or seven years, I was just doing property. It's only really the last two years that my brand's been able to sort of grow and reach. And obviously, life leverage is is wider. My next book's going to be about money. That's even wider. But you probably got to earn the right and build a bit of a fan base. Uh, Kevin Kelly, I'm really excited. I'm going to be going to be interviewing him in a couple of episodes' time. He's the founder of Wired, an amazingly, amazingly successful guy. Yeah, I and um, he he wrote. Yeah, I know. So we've done really well to get him. And he wrote an article called "One Thousand Trips." If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. fans and he said you can be really successful and have a great business that serves you if you've got 1,000 diehard fans so get 1,000 diehard fans in one niche and then they'll buy everything you've got and they'll follow you all around the world and they'll follow everything you do Mm. so so, you know yeah thanks thanks for that Rob cool so hopefully Tarek that answered your question our next question is from Daniel Simons or Simmons he is asking you, Rob, the key to consistent results is through consistent actions. What can we do to reach our goals through planning and fulfilling small daily steps and then they can lead to big results? Okay, good question. I, th- I think there's a, a semi-answer in the question, mm-hmm. uh, which is small consistent actions lead to big results. So I guess the question from Daniel then, and I know Dan really well as well. I've been working with him a lot. He's a great guy. I think he's probably talking about how can we create habitual, consistent actions. So, you know, if you, if you got up half an hour earlier every day, imagine in the next 50 years, if you've got that many years left, how many hours a day you're going to use, that you're going to gain. But if you wake up for 30 minutes and you play Pokemon Go, which is the new craze apparently, for 30 minutes, there's no benefit in that. There's no, there's no leverage. So... What in your life do you need to change? And then how can you make that a habit? And you make that a habit by doing the same thing the same way at the same time. Now, the S's and C's on the disc profile, the sort of what you might call steady, consistent people, or even the sort of techie analytical people, you're probably better at following systems and so what you really need to do is write a system for your day because you know you get amazing results day by day not year by year or decade by decade so you're probably really good at that someone like me i'm not so good at that i like variety i like i'm quite an emotional guy i do things based probably on how i feel as well which is sometimes a bad thing so you want to write a little system for your day so parts of my day i've got a good system i always get up before six 
that's because I'm addicted to coffee and I'm just there and I'm awake and I immediately go and get a coffee. Quite a lot of people take the mickey out of me about that. I mean, uh, I, re- I recently got banned from driving. Nothing major, just a few little speeding fines, you know, 35 and a 30, what, 44 and a 40, 185 and a 70, you know, just, just little ones. And so I had six months without driving because I just got a, a tottered up a few points. And it was one of the greatest gifts ever because my dad was chauffeuring for me. And uh, the nearest good coffee is about five miles away. So I'll get up at 5.45, dad would chauffeur me about sort of 10 to 6, and I'd drive six miles to go and get a Costa and drive six miles back. And I'd be back about, what, half six. But that half six till half eight, I am in highest income generating task mode. So for me, that's often writing, creating, strategy, vision, high-level decisions, that kind of thing. And I can do all that from anywhere in the world remotely because that was how I designed my life. And I'm pretty religious on that. Come 7.45, I'll putt with Bobby because he's got a putting green in his bedroom. So I'll putt with him for 15 or 20 minutes before he goes to school. From 8 to 9, I get calls booked in my diary. And I'd say in that hour, even with how busy I am and, you know, we have thousands of requests, I still never have to do calls outside of the nine, eight to nine unless it's an urgent disaster. The world now knows that's when I do my calls. I'm probably only half filling that time. When I'm doing the calls from eight till nine, I'll do a workout in the garden in the summer and I'll do a workout in my gym inside in the winter. I'll let the person know that I'm doing a workout in case they think I'm a bit of a weirdo. Um, so I'm, I'm net time in there from eight till nine. I'll get at least two, if not three calls booked in in that eight till nine. And then nine o'clock, I'll sometimes go to the office. I'll intend to stay there till about half 10, just have a meeting with the MD and a few of the team members. Sometimes I end up staying around and getting in everyone's way till about midday. And then my day's done. And I'm always available every day. I play golf with Bobby every day. That's probably my most important thing that I do. And I've got pretty good at that system from a guy who doesn't, isn't really a systems person. So really my work work is done at nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, yeah, so what you want to do is you want to create systems and rules. And you want to you want to be very aware of your body clock. And when you feel energized and like, you know, someone's just put a needle in you and sucked all the blood and life out of you. So for me, I'm always energized until about half nine, quarter to ten. I'm on it. I'm energized. I'm buzzed. I'm feeling good, partly because of coffee, but partly I'm kind of a morning person now. 10 till 11.30, quarter to 12, black hole. Like, don't have a meeting with me in that time. Don't ask me for anything, you know. I'm like, Ugh. Coffee crash leading to next coffee high. So I'll put inconsequential tasks or, you know, things that just are very unimportant or I just won't be around anyone at that time. Coffee 12 o'clock, on it again until 3 o'clock. So I get another massive boost. And, um, and I go to bed really early because that suits me. I'm normally in bed by, well, latest 9.30, but I like to be in bed by 8 p.m., maybe 8.15, maybe 9. I love watching. I'm a bit like you, Tom. We love, don't we, the documentaries and the, and the series. So I love Silicon Valley. I love the series where you can learn a bit about business. I love watching all the documentaries that you can learn about business. So from sort of, well, I part with Bobby in the evening, play golf with him. So probably about from seven o'clock, because Gemma's doing what she, Gemma's the opposite. She's doing stuff at that time. So from seven till nine, I'm watching documentaries. And I'm pretty good at that, give or take. But it's taken me 30 years to develop that really good, leveraged, works for me, know my peaks and troughs of energy, daily routines and systems. And I think that's the key. And some people, they work really well at night and they're crap in the morning. So they've got to reverse their system to the way mine is. And you've got to put your high income generating tasks when you're buzzed and juiced and enthused and you put all your unimportant stuff and your unimportant emails and your, you know, your drudgery and the stuff that you can posteriorize over and isn't important. You put that in your black holes. If you've got really important means, you're really important clients, you're doing really important interviews, never put them in those holes because, you know, you could make a really bad decision. You'll, you'll always make good decisions in your high energy moments. You'll often make bad decisions in your low ones. Cool. I think it's interesting what you're saying about habits as well, because I think a lot of people think it's, they see people with routines like yours and think it's, 
you know, an impossible thing to achieve. But if you actually do any kind of research, you realize it only takes two weeks for a habit to become ingrained. It does not take very long. Stick it out for a couple of weeks and, and you'll be on that same kind of routine as well if you stick to it. And I'm the most, as you know, Tom, I'm the most unsystemized person you get. So if, if I can do that, if I can learn that, then anyone can. I mean, my five-year-old son's probably more systemized than I am. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Rob. Right. So hopefully, Daniel, that answered your question. You ready for another one, Rob? Yeah. Cool. So we've got another question from Claire Forks. What practical advice would you give for managing the transition to entrepreneur with a partner who is a step behind them in terms of mindset? Okay, good question. I get this a lot. I've done blog posts, social media posts, and videos on this. So by all means, have a look on my Facebook page, at Rob Moore Progressive, in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community. I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat what I just want to make sure that you can get some more information on that. So I think a lot of people experience this. And I remember when I experienced this in the past, I think we've got to take some responsibility ourselves too. Sometimes as disruptive entrepreneurs and passionate, enthused business people, we can be a bit evangelical. We can be a bit cultist. You know, we, we, we've got this new and found enthusiasm and passion and it's almost like we're trying to chuck that all over everyone. And if I go back to when I started 10 years ago, I just got into personal development. I was probably so rah-rah. I mean, my life was changing. I, was, I, I found out what positivity was and I was getting so happy. And I must have been so annoying to normal people. And so we've got to just be self-aware enough to see, are we creating that by being a bit evangelical or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. We're, we're imposing a bit too much this thing we've been doing for five minutes. So just have a reality check. Just make sure we're self-aware. And then if we are, the single best way to deal with this is find out your partner's values and sell your journey on their values. So, Tom, are you okay if I can use you as a bit of a crash test dummy on this? Go for it. Okay, so Tom, um, what would you say is uh, the top five most important things in your whole life? Like, what's most important to you in your life? This is a family podcast, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my friends, of course. My job yeah. is very, very important to me, as you know. Yeah. Probably, hmm, it's a very hard one because I kind of do a lot around both of those things. Okay, keep, keep going. Never think. Your friends, your job, what else is quite important to you? Education is important to me. I like yeah. to stay up on things. I like yeah. to know what's going on. I kind of, you know, you feel like you forget something if you don't learn something new every day. Yeah. What else? Um, I love to be outdoors. I'm a big yeah. outdoors person at the weekends. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, office job doesn't always suit me. But, you know, no, we have to do what we've got to do. Yeah. What else? Okay, that's cool. So if we could uh, replay this back. Yeah. And Tom, that's probably quite an interesting thing for you to go to through because you've probably not been asked that question like that. Yeah. So you said friends, yep. job, learning, and outdoors. Yeah. So they're the most important things to you. Yeah, I think that's so right. if I were to, let's say I wanted to take you, Tom, yeah. to a personal development event. Okay. If I said to you there'd be no one you know there, mm -hmm. and it won't help you grow as a person at all, and it will be in a basement for a week with no windows, my guess is you're not going to be up for that. Yeah, that doesn't sound very appealing. No, funny that. Whereas if I said we're, um, we're going to go to this or would you like to go to this uh, educational event where quite a lot of your friends are going and you're going to probably make a lot, meet a lot of friends. Yep. You're going to learn loads. It's going to improve your career. And a lot of it will be based outdoors in some new areas you've not been before. How would that sound? Well, where do I sign up? Okay, cool. So on a, that's a very simplistic exercise, but I just wanted, and Tom, you, you weren't, that wasn't scripted. You weren't, you didn't know that was no, coming. Not at all, no. no. So um, Claire uh, and everyone listening, you find out the values of your partner and then everything that you're doing, you sell to them. So if I was, if I was going on another course and Tom was like, oh man, I can never get hold of your office. You're going on another course. You know, if I could sell it, that would, it would help Tom's social life. And it would help Tom further his career and his job and make him enjoy his job more. And Tom would get benefit educationally from it because I'll come back and teach him everything I know. Then he's probably going to be cool with me doing that. Now, of course, Tom and I aren't married. But if you're married to someone and you say the reason that you're doing what you're doing 
and you sell it on their values, they can only support you on it. It's impossible for them not to support you on it because we all live according to our highest values. As we showed, but with the demo with Tom, when they're not conscious, people aren't conscious of it. They don't know when you ask them the script that, that you're asking them. It just comes out. So the script is what's most important to you in, and if you've got uh, kids who are above sort of five, six years old, people that you work with, the people that, you know, maybe you manage, your colleagues, just in conversation. So what's most important to you in life, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, what else? What else do you love? What do you love to do? And you've got this little list, and it's highly powerful for influence as well. But if you do the opposite and say, well, I'm doing this because this is for me and this is what I want to do, no wonder they feel like you're growing apart. You've got to bring them with you and, and let them see the benefit. Okay. Yeah, good. That's good. Thank you. It's quite interesting because I think, as we know, a lot of people underestimate kind of how important the mindset is before you can really get started and be successful. Yep. Cool. So hopefully that answers your question, Claire. Are you ready for another one, Rob? Yeah, far away. Fantastic. So we've got a question here from Philip Boots. Hi, Philip. How do I know if I have the right idea and will it work? Do I create a product or a service? How much time do I give to find it out? Okay, Philip. So question one from Rhonda on the niche uh, is very relevant to you. So how do I know if I've got the right idea and it will work? Research, keywords on search engines, Facebook groups, communities, social media groups to get a gauge if there's interest. You could email your contacts list and say, hey, I've got nothing to sell, but if I were to create this, how interested on a one to 10 would you be? One, you'd tell me to F off for spamming and 10 you'd say, create it right now and I'll pay a million pounds for it. So you ask your friends and contacts. It's very important to A, make sure that they know that you're not selling to them. B, just ask for their advice and C, not try and lead them, you know, by sort of give, trying to push any bias because you really want it to work. So you've got colleagues, friends, or people who would consume this potential product, and then you've got all the online research that we talked about. And then if I'm ever in doubt, test. The answer is if in doubt, test. If on the fence, test. If I'm not sure, test. So you start and you test small. So if I was going into property for the first time, I might buy a one-bed studio flat rather than trying to turn the cathedral into 28,000 HMO rooms. So if you're starting this off, Philip, you can test, you can create a very small product, like a book or an audio program or a podcast. Choose ones that have got low startup cost and, and, and low risk. If you start a podcast and no one signs up and no one's interested in a few weeks, you've not lost a lot of money or a lot of time. If you write a book, of course, there is an investment in time on that, but you always have that book and that book creates passive income every time that you get, you know, you sell one. And of course, you can always say you've written a book. So the next thing is, by de-risking the test, is if you can if you can create the product or service and get a, a longer tail of leverage, you know, if you could write a Christmas number one, that'd be awesome, but most of us can't do that. But if you can use it as something that's packageable in another way, so like, okay, let's say you wrote a book and it flopped and it didn't sell very many, blah, and then you have to go on to write your next book or do another different product or service, you still got the book, it's still there. You know, it's still an asset that you have. You can say you're a published author and, hey, who knows, it might drip feed and sell you a few hundred copies a month or something like that. And um, you start selling them quickly at a low price. So they call it MVP, minimum viable product, or iteration one or version one, you know, all the, the fancy terms from Silicon Valley. You just want to get yourself to MVP level, minimum viable product. You do not want to make it, you know, perfect the first time round because if often you actually don't know the right price you don't know the right format and um, it's often the, the iteration two or three or four where you get it right so i just test it out and follow those steps cool all right thanks for that rob so we've been going about 40 minutes how much more time have you got for us today oh i'm, I'm cool i'll be here as long as you need okay that's great i'm sure everyone at home will be really happy cool so our next one is from sam cooper hi sam how do people generate leads for their business? How do you track what ratios of leads to sales you need to get? I think that's quite an interesting one because we kind of have that issue all the time at HQ. So do you want to delve into that a bit, Rob? Yeah, sure. Now, I think you want to do this in reverse. Before we talk about doing this in reverse, everybody has a different 
what you might call client journey, customer journey, funnel, staircase, whatever, you know, from the free thing all the way through to the highest price product. And if you don't have a free thing, the first few touch points until they buy the first thing, most products or services or companies will have more than one product. Some like Mercedes might have hundreds of different cars, but you know, there's all sorts of ancillaries that you can buy and add on from them too. But what you want to do is you want to work it in reverse. And you work it in reverse by working out the lifetime client value, LCV. Now, if you have no customers, you can't do this yet. And you've got to analyze the data as you go. If you've already got customers, you work out the lifetime client value by working out the total sales and dividing it by the total number of purchases. And then you get your lifetime client value which is ultimately the average amount of purchases from the average client. So if you've got one product, then obviously the lifetime client value is only ever going to be as much as one. If you've got 10 products, one customer could buy all 10. But the average of all customers might mean they get four products down your 10 product staircase. So you're going to work out an actual amount of lifetime client value. And then you go back and you work out how much you can spend to get them to each point. And I work on a 50% MAC, which is a maximum acquisition cost. So told you I can even learn the systems. I'm coming up with all these acronyms. So a MAC, a maximum acquisition cost, is the maximum you can pay to get a set net profit margin. And what we do is we look at 50%. So we're looking, if our net profit margin is 20%, then we'll do a maximum acquisition cost of 50% of that 20%. So half the net profit. And you can work that on gross turnover. So if we've got 20% net margin, that's 10% of the uh, lifetime client value. So you work out how much you can spend to acquire the client to buy the thing. And then, in theory, you use that as your license to print money because if your product is £100, your profit is £20, and you pay maximum £10 to get them to buy the £100 product, you are printing money in that you're making a £10 net profit margin on that purchase. But then after the £100 product, if they buy a £300 product and then a £500 product and then a £1,000 product, you've got a higher lifetime client value. And then what you can do is go back and you can actually pay, get this, it's interesting, more than the net profit margin of the first product. So you could pay a net minus 20% maximum acquisition cost. So you could pay you could pay a loss leader on the first product if the second, third, fourth, and fifth is high margin. Now, I'm not advising that, disclaimer. I'm saying you could. So if you've got a one or two very low-priced products and then some very high-priced product, products, you could do that. Now, I actually do that because I give away tons of CDs. And, uh, you know, you, many of you in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community, you've heard me talk about, you know, this a lot. I'll give CDs away at cost or less or I'll give them away if someone's generous to me or leaves a, a good review or something like that and I'm probably losing 10 quid on the CDs. But the lifetime client value of my companies, if you take the individual, it's probably £110,000 and if you take the average, it's thousands of pounds per client. So is it worth getting some goodwill and paying a slight what you might call loss leader? Of course. So I don't work it based on how the question was asked. And I think it was Sam. Let me just check. Was it? Yeah, it was Sam. I don't work, I don't work it out front end to back. I work it out back end to front. Work out the lifetime client value. Work out how many products back that some the average customer will buy. So let's say a lifetime client value is £1,000 on 10 products. The average customer buys four of those 10 products. So each customer is a £400, four out of 10 lifetime client value, so you can pay 200 pounds and you still, uh, so that's 200, no, you can pay, so net profit is, what did I say, 400, so 20% of 400 is 80, you can pay 40 pounds per client, so I pay 40 pound a lead. Cool, thanks Rob, I think it's one of those things that people think is really, really complicated, but actually, you know, although there's a lot of moving parts, you can kind of boil it down to some quite simple maths if you kind of know what you're talking about, don't you think? 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, but also, on the other side of that, it's actually doing it. Yeah. Lots of people don't do it. I'm not a systems guy. I'm not a techie, as I've said a load of times. I actually really enjoyed, though, working out all these metrics. Of course. Because I felt like I was learning more about my business. The more I know about my business, the more I can make. So I'll work out the average database spend per year, which is the amount of people on the database. Sorry, the amount of turnover of the company divided by the amount of people on the database. So then I know if I've got, so for example, let's say we've got, what, 145,000 people on our combined databases, maybe a bit more. I think a bit more. So if I do 1.45 million, then they're spending, what is it, 10 pound each, 100 pound each? I'll let Mark do the maths. You know, you can work, you can work out the numbers. And that's, um, that's a powerful thing. Cool. All right. Thanks, Rob. Hopefully that answers Sam's question. Right. We've got a couple more here that we don't have any names for. So as I said earlier, if we read out your question, we do want to give you a special gift, but you'll just have to private message me in the Facebook group and I'll get back to you and we'll sort that out for you. So what do you think, Rob, will happen to the property market outside of London post-Brexit? Okay. I can make this really easy. I've no idea. Okay, thanks. And I, I just I just don't like it when people crystal ball something they have no education or knowledge about. Of course. I think it's more okay and, uh, people trust your authority. I was, yeah, I would not want to be a fraud. I, I don't understand enough about this. I don't care enough about this. Mm-hmm. And even my business partner, who's probably one of the foremost experts on the UK economy, especially relating to finance and business, the people he studies at the high, high level of him, they're right half as much as they're wrong. And Mark was absolutely convinced we'd stay in the EU when we left. And um, the, the politics in the UK is going through quite a disruption at the moment. So what I always try and do in these instances, and I, I hope that uh, the person who asked the question doesn't think I'm being flippant. It's just, you know, if you ask me about being a Tiddlywings world champion, I'd have no idea. What I love about this, though, is when you get disruptive stuff like this, like I'm in America and everyone's talking about Brexit in America. It's kind of crazy is you will get fallout and you'll get some people who will find it hard, but you will get some major innovations, disruptions, and there will be some people who build some amazing businesses based on this change because, you know, virtually all the politicians are all resigning. We're getting new politicians. It's massive change. There's uncertainty. Microsoft got built in a recession. So many other big businesses got built in a recession. So when you have change, you know, like recessions are when the, the flow of money changes. It's change that creates opportunity. So honestly, I'm really excited about Brexit. I hope that Brexit corrects the property market. I hope it makes them drop. You know, not for not because I want anyone to lose out, but because I know there'll be so much disruptive opportunity from that. The yields will get better. I think we're probably due a bit of a price correction, you know, maybe a midterm correction. I think we're probably due one. You know, we're getting outbid on properties. People are paying stupid money for properties. They're paying 30% more than we're offering for, and we're offering 10% more than we want to offer for. So it's kind of going mad. So I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it disrupts. I hope it corrects. There's certainly going to, there's a lot of waiting. The people who are going to be waiting, 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 they're probably going to get hurt. I think if you look at the opportunities you strive to disrupt, you could make some, you could have some big first mover advantage on this. Cool. All right. Thanks, Rob. Well, I completely understand what you're saying. It's very hard to make predictions on these things when there's kind of so much to it. So thanks for giving it a go anyway. Right, so we've got another one with no name. Again, please private message me and we'll sort you out. The question is, how important, Rob, do you think branding is in the early stages of a small business? Not very important. Go out and sell some stuff. Go out and create your minimum viable product. Go out and iterate, tweak, get your product out there, get feedback, tweak it. Not not important at the start of a business. So, so many people when they're starting, it's website, business cards. Now, Tom, I know you're a designer, so I'm happy for you to answer this and argue with me if you want. That's cool. But the, spe- the, the specific question was at the start or early stages of a business. Go and make some money. Go and get your products created. Get your stuff out there. And then once you start building a bit of a name and a reputation, then start cleaning up your brand. A lot of the branding, and I'd like to make a um, disclaimer here, not that you've done, Tom, a lot of our early branding that's still out there is not that great. And it doesn't really hurt us. And we grow and grow and grow. And yeah, you know, we're still trying to redo a lot of our websites. and We want to make stuff a bit more mobile responsive. But we're not perfect on our branding. We're good enough. And, you know, we do more than £10 million a year, which a few years ago would have been $20 million. It's now probably about $11 million with the exchange rate. Um, But... But yeah, so go out there, MVP, test, 
get some feedback from your customers because you might create this brand and actually it's, it's completely wrong and irrelevant for your customers. And then once you know your business, you know your mission, you know your vision, you know your values, you know your ideal customers, you know your target demographic, you know a bit about the look and feel, you've looked at all your other competitors, then you create your brand. Yeah, I think Tom, you disagree? Uh, no, actually, I completely agree. And even as a designer, I have to say, I completely agree. People don't care about your brand until they care about your product. So make a good product first. And then once people start to care about it and respond to it, you can kind of craft your brand to match their expectations. So yeah, I completely agree. Unusually. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Tom. Cool. Okay. We've got another one here. If you want one, Rob. Yeah, please. What percentage of turnover would you recommend to outsourcing as you grow your business? So kind of, you know, of all the parts of your business, how much of your business should you outsource when it's small and you're still growing it? Well, I've not actually worked out the percentage of turnover that we outsource in our business. I must admit, I've been a bit old fashioned and it was only two and a half years ago when I kind of dotted the I's and crossed the T's on the life leverage philosophy and got totally mobile and stopped being hands-on that I kind of changed my tune on this. But I like building teams and, you know, I've been inspired by a lot of the outsourcers, you know, the likes of Tim Ferriss, what he did in 4-Hour Workweek and, you know, a lot of these sites like Elance, People Per Hour. I'm sure, Tom, you can help some of you use. Yeah, 99 Designs is a good one. Okay, yeah, 99 Designs. See, now there's these websites, and um, you literally can, using them, outsource personal assistance or technical-related stuff because they can log onto your computer, design, pretty much everything. But I started business 10, 11 years ago, and we were just at the start of this. And so it took me a while to get into it, and and I wanted to build a team because I want to scale, and I want to have you know, businesses all over the world and I want to, I never want to stop growing. And, and so I really want scale and, and for scale, I think you need team, uh, you need great people. But so what I found is I use a, I do outsource pretty much everything, but what I often do is outsource something to someone mm-hmm. rather than a, a bot or a system or an outsource. Now, if I didn't have as many people in the team, I would use more of the outsourcing sites and systems like I know Tom, you do, and a lot of people in the team do. Um, So I personally think we're good to combine both. So again, most questions aren't, you know, is left right or better right? Is up better or down better? You know, it's like, it's probably a bit of everything. You want good outsourcing companies, outsourcing websites, but you probably want to build a good team with a great personal assistant, with a great MD. You probably, you know, you want definitely want mentors and it's hard to outsource that. You want actual people you talk to. So I'd say, sorry, Tom. The great head of design. Yeah, absolutely. That's the most important, isn't it, Tom? So, Tom, what about you? Because you outsource, don't you? Even though you're in a a role, you outsource too. So I think it's, um, there's always a place for outsourcing because no matter what you do, there's always going to be a certain amount of functional stuff that is kind of repetitive, easy work that is just never going to be worth the time of like someone that you have spent training and recruiting so I don't think, you know, no matter how big your business gets, you know, there isn't stuff you could be out, outsourcing. I mean, we do a lot of stuff in, in the design department for progressive and unlimited success that even now that we've grown, we still outsource because it's just, you know, my guys, you know, it's just not worth me putting them on it when I can pay someone to do it, you know, for half the price. It's just not worth the time and, and the talent that we have. Yeah. So I think there's always a place for outsourcing, especially on the kind of more mundane tasks as you go forward, because, you know, there's a lot of disciplines that can take a very, very long time to learn to get very minimal results from. And it's, it's just best to just get someone else to do it. Do you use any specific sites that you love? Uh, we use um, Upwork, which used to be Elance, and we use that mostly. There's some really, really, really great people on there. And if you write a detailed enough job advert, you'll 99% of the time find someone really great to do the job for you. Okay, do you, and you use 99designs, do you? Yeah, we've given 99designs a go as well. Um, that's very good. It's slightly different to how the other ones work. So with the traditional job websites, you say what you would like to do and a bunch of people bid on it for you and then you pick which one of them you want. With 99designs, you say what you want and actually the people do it for you and you just pick the one that you think is best. So you, you pick a complete piece of work. So it ends up being a lot more expensive because you're, you're buying the completed piece of work that you can see before you even buy it. 
but you often get a much higher quality from something like that. But it's about picking the time. And if you were having, you know, if you just need a website doing something like, you know, Elance or, or, or Upwork, it's probably perfect for that. But something a bit more kind of business critical, perhaps like a, you know, logo that's something you're going to keep for many years. Yeah, something like 99 Designs is way better for that. Okay, great. Do you use people per hour? Or have you? I think we use no, not in the design department. But I know it is It is a very well thought of one, yeah. Yeah, and I, I know quite a few people who've used that. Yeah. Now, of course, there's, there's pretty much an app, isn't there, for pretty much everything you want to sort of leverage. So the problem with I, I have personally is I like things done, and I'm not the tinker. And, the, you know, the people when they were kids who took the toys apart and read the instructions and put them back together. I know quite a lot of people like that. And so they love learning the apps and the systems. My business partner, Mark Hamer, is like that. I'm the opposite. I want the baby, not the labor pains. So what I'll often do is wait and get recommendations from people on those and maybe even get them to set them up for me. But obviously I'm doing this Skype call from America. I've got quite a lot of apps that I use so that, you know, I can pretty much have everything remote. All, all my banking is completely remote. And I've got, I say this humbly, but a lot of bank accounts you know, with, um, you know, things are going good in that department. So got that, got all of them synced. Like on, on Barclays, we have about nine or 10 different bank accounts. That's all synced on the app. And that took a lot of setting up to do. And that's really important as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, you, so that's the question. I don't know the percentage of turnover, but what I would say is it's easier than ever to do it from now. And you can set up your business part-time while you're still working and you can systemize 70 or 80% of it, maybe more, and you can keep the cost right down and then only hire when you really need, when you've got the money if you want. Although I'd encourage you to hire quicker than you think because one great PA, one great designer, Tom, you know, one great MD, one great FD, one great team member is worth so much. Like they're worth three or four maybe not so good team members and then worth 50 great apps or outsourcing websites cool all right thank you very much rob that's uh really interesting and i think um you know if people are interested you just did a three-part series on recruiting a uh, great team didn't you and that um covers kind of in super detail what you've just covered in brief there yep yeah sure cool so i think we might be very close to being out of time rob would you like me to tell the questions, people, what they're going to get? Yeah, you, you far away. Cool. So thank you for everyone who asked a question. It's very, very, you know, great that you've asked and you're, you're kind of, you know, interacting with the community. We did have others that we haven't been able to get to yet, but obviously Rob is really short on time. So if I haven't got to your question, I apologize. Everyone whose question did get read out. We do have a special gift for you. We have a brand new product that we're producing called the Progressive Keynote Collection. And that is a product kind of covering all of the big interviews, keynotes we've had from people such as Alan Sugar, Karen Brady, Bob Geldof, Frank Bruno. And it's something really special and and limited edition we've created that we actually don't sell anywhere. So you physically can't buy it. So for anyone who was kind enough to have asked a question and had it read out today, get in contact and we're going to get you a digital version of the keynote collection. Tom, can I, can I just jump in there? Uh, I mean, for, for many listeners in the US, for example, they may not know of some of the English names like Lord Sugar. Yeah. He, uh, he's the Donald Trump version of the UK, did The Apprentice, or has been doing it for many years. He's worth nearly a billion pounds. Frank Bruno, heavyweight world champion, only really better was Tyson at his time. They've spoken at events that I've put on and we've got the recordings of them. They're amazing in their own different ways. There's someone called James Khan in the UK. Many of you may know him very well. He's worth hundreds of millions. He's in recruitment. Bob Geldof, obviously around the world, one of the biggest philanthropists, charity raisers, you know, worth millions and millions and millions. And we've put all of these big keynote speakers that Mark and myself and my businesses have paid in total hundreds of thousands of pounds to them to speak our events and collate it all we put it into a program that we're never going to sell and because you asked your question you're going to get those for free and it's going to be online as well so you don't have to get clunky cds sent to you and instantly consumable online and we wanted to do that as a big thank you for everyone who's following the disruptive entrepreneur we've got over three hundred thousand subscribers which has just blown us away i'm so amazed by that and those that take your time to submit the questions, you know, we're really grateful. This is a bit of a, it's a side project. It's something that Tom and I get to do that's fun, but you're making it great for us. 
And hey, if there's ne- we might get a load of demand now to do another episode based on that gift. But hey, look, keep finding questions away. If you've got more, then you know we'll do it if this is what you want. I also want to let you know we've got some amazing guests coming up. Mm-hmm. And I don't say I'm amazing with hyperbole. Said we've got Kevin Kelly, who's well. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it a surprise. Google him. He's huge, huge guy. Uh, I've got someone who's got an MBE that I'm going to be interviewing, like uh, you know, knighted in the UK. So I've got some amazing guests coming up, which I'm really excited about. And hey, look, if you want me to interview anyone who you think is right, either send me a, a message and suggest, or even better, send them a message and say, hey, you should be on this podcast. They'll probably take it more seriously from you. And then one final thing to celebrate the 50th episode of the Disruptive Entrepreneur. I can't even believe we got here. It's been an amazing thing. We're going to give you another special gift, which is just going to take one pound investment of you. And then I'm going to give you probably nearly all the personal development education I've ever created. So we've just now launched, never before, the uh, Rob Moore Academy. So this is an academy where videos, audios, systems, checklists, templates, of everything I ever cover on business, personal development, mindset, is now officially live. Tom, do you have the link for that? Because I just need a quick drink. No problem. I will just get the link. Yeah, and obviously I've been putting this together for Rob on his behalf. You know, that's called leverage. And, you know, there is dozens and dozens of hours of absolutely phenomenal content that, you know, again, isn't something usually that we'd we'd, um, use. A lot of it is from perhaps live events that were one-offs. But, you know, it's kind of stuff that was too good to, um, you know, not have. So, right, Rob, well, I can read it out if you'd like. The link for yes. anyone who is interested for just one pound, it's bit.ly, bit.ly, apologies, forward slash RM Academy. So that's bit.ly forward slash RM Academy. And we will be putting that in the show notes and posting it on the group the Facebook group for anyone who's in there and who is interested. It's kind of a limited offer that we're only doing for you guys because, you know, you're kind of first on our list because you love us so much. So, yeah, take action as soon as you can. Okay, so um, is the RMA on the RM Academy, capital letters? It is, yes. Okay, so that's bit.ly forward slash RMA, capital letters, and then Academy, so RM Academy. Now, I've just logged on. I'm on the page here. So it's just one pound and then it's nine ninety seven a month. So it's important to say you can cancel at any time with no contract at all. And hey, look, I want to always give you value. I'd give everything for free if I could. Uh, and I can financially. It's just I know people get results when they invest in themselves. But that's why it's only a pound. You can go in and try everything. And if it's not for you, you can unsubscribe anytime. So, you know, there's no commitment on that front. So there's over 10 hours I've never released before, keynote speeches that I've done that I've been paid for in HD. There's exclusive new courses that I've done, online courses that have not either been launched ever or we've only ever sold. I'm doing courses on how to write your book, how to get your book published, how to build you know, your own business, marketing, because that's something that I've got some experience in. There's lots of money mindset training here. There's the previous world record speech I did, which was 40-odd hours. So there's, there's tons of stuff. It says on the page that uh, just the first login, the information is worth over £997. I get paid between ten pounds and £15,000 for each keynote speech I do. And there's 10 hours of those in there, so that gives you some idea. There's loads of new stuff you've never had. And all you have to do is a one-pound trial. So that's bit.ly forward slash RMA, capital letters. So that's RM Academy. And if you're listening to this, it's just live. We won't be announcing this before this podcast. Um, We're recording this about a week before. What I will definitely make sure I do is close it when we've got a certain amount of members because I need the feedback to do the second version. I don't want to have so many people that, you know, it's the quality isn't there. So, um, you know, if you've listened to number 50 episode and now we're on a number 150 episode, it's probably closed. So do just do just have a check on that. I'm really excited about that. That's something that, you know, most people know me in the property world. I've, I've had 
I've been busting to get this out for 10 years, but my business partner's been holding me back because he wanted me to focus on property. But my true passion is the life leverage philosophy. I do a lot of training on money and money mindset and making more money and making money without guilt. And, and that's something I think a lot of the globe has a lot of problem with, that you know, that, that making money is bad or that people are greedy or they associate money with greed. So I do a lot of training on that. I'll be updating it every month with at least 10 hours of new content. That's what I'm committing to do. And I've just said it live in front of 300,000 people, so this is going to be done. If there's 300,000 people that subscribe to this podcast, I don't think we can take more than 1,000 people in the first run. So what's that? 0.3% uh, of people who try are going to get it. So if you're running or net timing or listening to me on two times speed, go do it right now. And I look forward to the next episode. Is there anything you want to finish with, Tom? Cool. Uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate what you said. You know, it's something we're committed to and we, we are making some uh, really exciting new kind of forays into kind of online learning. And it's something that we fought really hard to get kind of more resources for. And we have a whole new exciting kind of TV quality studio in, in, in the office. And we will be really committing to making sure that there is brand new content, exclusive content every single month. So, you know, it's a pound for the first month, but it's well worth staying on because there's stuff you're going to get on there that you're not going to get absolutely anywhere else. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. I can see Starbucks in my eye line. I don't know how I've managed to stay on here for an hour and 13 minutes. This might be our longest episode. Uh, yep. So please share the podcast. Please come and see us in the Disruptive Entrepreneurs community. Keep the conversation going. Tom, thanks for doing this. No, thank I you. I really appreciate you making the time for us today. All right. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day.